0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's it's great to see you guys. I am um, glad to be with you this morning. Maybe not glad for the reason I'm here. So if you are visiting with us, let me take a second to introduce myself. My name is Stacy McLean, and my husband Chris and I have been calling Crosstown home now for over 15 years, and it is such a joy to get to serve with you guys and to be here and to serve you. Um, unfortunately, Pastor Paul has the flu, and so he is at home sick, so if you know him, I can assure you he is not staying home early to watch the Patriots game. I know there's an early Patriots game, but I promise I talked to him. He's actually sick. My husband's his doctor. He diagnosed him. It's, it's legit. He really is sick. Um, and so I um, he's asked me to come and share with you guys this morning. But before we get started, I want to just go over a couple of quick things that are coming up that I wanted to make you aware of. So if you are a woman or a lady, um, one of the things I do here at Crosstown is I'm the women's ministry lead, and I love what I do. I love being a part of that. And we are having our third annual Women's Encounter Weekend. It's February 7th through the 9th. And um, the cost is $225. It covers two nights, accommodations, and most of your food. So those are the details. If you want to sign up, you can do that through our website. But what I want to encourage you, if you are a lady here and you struggle with having self-confidence or feeling like that you measure up or that you are good enough, I want to invite you to come to this weekend. It is going to be a weekend where we learn what God says about who we are and how to confidently step in all that he has for us. It's going to be a great time of fellowship, we've got games and activities and giveaways, we're going to have teaching and worship, and a lot of free time where you can shop or sleep or read or whatever you want to do, but um, the whole weekend, the whole time is really geared for us to get to know one another and to encounter the living God, so... Uh, I encourage you guys to sign up. We have limited spots, but there are a few available. also wanted to remind you that we have small group kickoff coming up in just a few weeks. I think it's January 27th. And on that Sunday, we're going to have food trucks and all the small group tables will be out. But between now and then, we have our small group directories available. Our small group leaders are walking around with these red buttons that say, ask me about my small group. So if you've never gotten involved in a small group, I want to encourage you. Maybe that's the step that you're to take as this new year is getting kicked off. So we've got that going on. If you want a small group directory, they're at guest services. So I hope that you guys can... um, Get involved in that in some way. Those small groups really are the the heart of what we do here. That is our mission statement on the process of becoming learners, lovers, and leaders. And so I just encourage you to step out and join a small group. Check those out. So last week... Pastor Paul started our new series called Manifesto, Creating Our Future Now. And when he started talking to us about it, he defined the word manifesto as this. It comes from the Latin word manifest, which means to make visible or to reveal. A manifesto reveals your intent. So when you think about the word manifesto, it reveals your intent. It's to make something visible. And then he also reminded us, though, that remaining the same is easy when the option remains on the table. And um, if you were here last week, then you got to see and be a part of that song and that video of burning the ships. And, and really last week was kind of a charge to help us kind of think about what ships do we need to burn? What, what are we leaving on the table that's an option and there's no change because it's just easy to go back to the same old, same old. But if we're really going to step into this new year, with intentionality in creating our future, then we need to remember that we might have to burn some ships. And, you know, he went in and explained to us that a manifesto is like a a core group of values, it's principles, and it's a bold call to action all rolled up into one thing. A manifesto um, really helps you understand what you're setting out to achieve. What do you want to achieve? It really helps you define your future. It helps you create the idea of what you want for your future. Because for a lot of us, we kind of just let it happen. There are things in my life that I'm like, "Eh, it'll be fine, I'm just gonna let it happen. But there are certain things that we need to be intentional about, and that's what this manifesto does. And then a manifesto is something that's shared or declared publicly. And so as we were going through those things, he began to tell us about God's manifesto. God has created a manifesto for all of us. And actually, creation is a manifesto. And last week, Pastor Paul took us through the creation story and reminded us that creation is a manifesto. It's the combination of intention, of vision, and implementation. See, God's end game was to create an environment where there's relationship and there's empowerment. God created so that we could be in relationships and so that he could empower us in those relationships. There's a let there be manifesto. Last week, if you were here, he went through the creation story and over and over again, God said, and let there be. And it was. God created us with the power to live the let there be manifesto in our lives. Last week at the end, Pastor Paul ended with a few questions for us. And I don't know if you're like me, but I kind of have pondered those questions throughout the week. And so I hope that you may have done the same. If you ever want to see his notes, they're usually on our app. So you can always check that out. If they're not up today, give us time. They'll get up. Um, But last week he ended with some of the questions that ask us, you know, What what do I believe? Where do I stand on certain issues in my life? What do I intend to do? What are the plans and the purposes that I intend to to do and fulfill? What type of world do I dream about? What do I wish to create? And have I made that manifest? Have I revealed that to my family, to the people that I do life with, so that they can see that and know what it's all about? Today, we're going to look at someone who has lived out the let-it-be, God-given, God-inspired manifesto. We're going to start taking a look at this guy, Um, and I love this story in Scripture because it's real encouraging to me. So we're going to be looking at this guy who chose to live the manifesto, and he revealed his manifesto to those around him, and other people began to live out the manifesto because of what he did. But the truth is, this guy was not the smartest, the most influential, the best-looking guy in the room. Um, And that's real encouraging to me because I don't ever feel like I walk in the room that I'm the smartest, the best-looking, or the most influential. Actually, my mantra this year is every time I interact with someone, They must be smarter than me, they must love Jesus more than I love, because honestly, that's not how I walk into a room, so I'm encouraged when I think about how he comes in and becomes such an important player in this story, and how he so faithfully and boldly lives out this let there be manifesto. And so the difference between him and the rest of the people is that he knew what the manifesto of God was. He had begun to internalize the let there be. He knew who he was in relation to who his God was, and he began living then this out. And he doesn't start from a place of success and move into more success. See, I think a lot of times we look at people who have manifestos and we think, well, they're already a successful person. So it's easy for them to move from one success into the next success. But this guy was not moving from success into success. He actually was in captivity. He was actually, had already, his um, group of people had already been captured. He'd been removed from his home. He'd been removed from his town, put in a foreign place, far away from everything he knew. And he was really in captivity. And I think some of us are like, yeah, well, I'm not in captivity. But I think the truth is, a lot of us are bound in captivity. Maybe no one has come and taken us out of our home and moved us to a place we don't want to be. But how many of us live in captivity of our fears? Captivity of our failures, of our regrets, of our shame, of our past. See, I think for a lot of us, we are in places of captivity. We are in places where we are being held captive by a heart of unforgiveness. We're being held captive by the fear of failure or what our last failure looked like. Or we're being held captive because of the betrayal or the hurt that has been caused to us. And I just want to encourage you today, no matter where you are, no matter where you find yourself today, whether you're someone who's going to move from success to success, that's great. Or whether you're someone who's held in captivity by your fear, your unforgiveness, your shame, your regret, the truth is God has a manifesto for your life. He has spoken it over your life and he wants you to begin taking that manifesto in. He has spoken, let there be manifesto over your life. He has said, let there be freedom. Let there be forgiveness. Let there be empowerment. Let there be reconciliation. Let there be healing. Let there be blessing. Let there be opportunity. That is the manifesto God has spoken over every single one of our lives. Wherever you're coming from today, the manifesto of God for your life is let there be all of these things. And as we get into this story today, you're going to see over the next several weeks the let there be freedom and forgiveness and opportunity and blessing and empowerment unfold in this story. And as you are reading this story, I want you to understand this story was written for us today to be encouraged. It was written a long time ago about real people who had real experiences. But when these events were unfolding and they got recorded in Scripture, God knew that we would need them today. That some of us would need to hear this manifesto today. So when you're, when you're thinking about this guy... Um, and you think, I'm nothing like him. The main difference is he chose to implement the manifesto of God in his life, and it had a great impact on the people around him. See, when we begin to demonstrate our manifesto, when we choose to implement our manifesto, remember it means that it will be revealed and shared publicly to those around us. And so as you begin walking this journey, it's not only for you, it's not only going to bring blessing to you, but it will bring blessing and opportunity and empowerment and forgiveness to those who see you and who interact with you. And so I want to encourage you in that. And a lot of languages we learned last week, manifesto is a Verb. It's a call to action. And so today, when we start looking at the story, there's a call to action in this story. Um, there's a call to, to respond to what's happening. See, in our story, there's a great catastrophe that's taken place. There is a trial. There is suffering that's taking place. And some of you are in that place today where you're walking through a great trial. You're walking through great suffering. Today, God is calling you to action, to implement a manifesto. And as you see in the story, the response by this guy is to respond with the let there be manifesto. So um, we're going to be looking at the story of Nehemiah. And if you're unfamiliar with Nehemiah, Then I want to just give you a quick backdrop on Nehemiah. Basically, this happened in the Old Testament. So we're back in the Old Testament before Jesus. And the Jews had been taken into captivity again. And Nehemiah had been taken out of his home and taken over to this place. um, And living as a captive in this other land. And then the city, his home city of Jerusalem, now has just been burned. The city walls have been destroyed. Um, At one point, the temple was destroyed and then got rebuilt. And so Nehemiah finds himself in this place where life as he knew it has been destroyed. The walls have been broken down. Anybody in that place today where you feel like everything around you has collapsed maybe in the last week or in the last six months, that you feel like the walls have been destroyed, that you're sitting in ruins? Maybe some of us are sitting in ruins that have been there for years. Some of us are thinking there is no way these walls are ever going to get rebuilt. My kids are already grown. There's no hope for me to parent them, to teach them, to train them. There's no hope in that relationship. It's been broken for too many years. Or maybe you never had reconciliation with your parent, and now they're, they're gone, and you think there is no hope. I'm here to tell you today that we serve a God who is above and beyond time, and there is hope for every single one of us. That it doesn't matter how long your walls have been in ruin, it doesn't matter how long the devastation has been there, God wants to begin rebuilding the walls. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah, he says it this way Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, you shall raise up the foundation of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. The manifesto of God is the same for all of us. Let there be. God is calling us to be the one to begin repairing the walls. No matter what caused the devastation around you, whether it was something that was done to you or it was a choice you made, God is calling each one of us to be the repairer of the breach, to be the restorer of the streets, And if you're sitting there, you may be thinking, yeah, but how do I do that? Just getting to church was hard enough this morning, right? I mean, if you have young kids in your house or teenagers or anyone else in your house other than yourself, it was probably a challenge to get here this morning. So how do we get started? How do we do this? We're going to look at what Nehemiah did. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open it up. Um, or you can follow along on your device. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, don't leave today without one. We've got free ones at the back for you. We want to give it to you as a gift. It's the best book you can ever pick up and read. It might be overwhelming at times. It is overwhelming at times to me, but I encourage you to get in it and to get to know it. But I really just want us to look at how to engage the process. How did Nehemiah engage this process? So we're going to start in Nehemiah 1. So basically, Nehemiah is... Um, over in this other place in Persia, and he's, he's serving the king there, and some of his friends had gone back to Jerusalem, and they had seen that the walls had been burned, that the city was in ruins, that the city wall was in ruins, and this is how Nehemiah responds when the trial, when the devastation, when the destruction is heard. When he hears about this great trial, this great suffering. This is how he responds, and as I'm reading this today, I want us to think about how do We respond, and how can we become more like Nehemiah in our responses? As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. The word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcast are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Just like I was saying a few minutes ago, You may be thinking that it's too far gone, that your life is too far gone, the situation, the broken relationship, whatever it is, is too far gone. Remember the promise of God, even though they may be scattered into the uttermost parts. I know some of us feel like we have relationships that have literally been scattered into the uttermost parts, God's word is true and faithful. He will bring restoration. He will bring them back into a place where his name dwells. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy In the sight of this man. See, Nehemiah responded to this terrible news of destruction of his home city by fasting and prayer. Nehemiah responded with fasting and prayer. This week, today, we are kicking off our seven days of prayer and fasting. When you came in today, there's a prayer guide on each of your seats. And that is what we're asking you to take with you today and bring with you as you come back this week. Tomorrow morning, Monday through Friday, we'll be here at 6 a.m. for an hour of worship and prayer. It's going to be about 10 minutes of worship and music, a little bit of um, scripture reading, and then it's going to be about 45 minutes of prayer. And we invite you to come and be a part of that. Because, see, Nehemiah knew how to begin implementing the Let There Be manifesto in his life. He started with prayer and fasting. He started by doing prayer and fasting. And some of you are thinking, you know, that idea of fasting, is kind of weird, and I'm with you. Like, fasting, what is fasting all about? Why would you fast? And so... A couple of years ago I was thinking about it like why why Lord do you even require that we would do this? Why would you want us to do this? Why do you invite us into doing this? Cuz honestly I really think God is inviting us to this. I don't think God is saying, "Oh well, don't do it." I think God understands the blessings that we will receive out of it. So I started thinking about it and I'm a mom, I have two kids how many of you who have to interact with other people and you're trying to talk to them like me, mine is with my kids, I'll say, hey, listen, we're about to leave in 10 minutes. I need you to brush your teeth and put your shoes on and meet me at the front door. Well, my kids are either watching TV or playing a video game and I tell them that and I go finish doing what I'm doing. I go back and 10 minutes later, they're sitting there doing the exact same thing. I'm like, is that just me or do other moms feel that too? I don't know. But I'm like, Did you hear what I said? I said, we're leaving. I need you to get your teeth brushed and put your shoes on and meet me at the door. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry, Mom. I I heard you. I'll go do it now. I'm like, what in the world? Think about it this way, though. Think about fasting this way. God is constantly speaking to us. God is constantly telling us things. But we get distracted because we have our vision, our sight, our eyes and our ears on other things. Whatever it is, social media, TV, music, a relationship, food. It can be a multitude of things. But think about what would happen if my children put their devices down, if they stopped watching TV, if they stopped playing their video game and they came to me and they said, hey mom, I just want you to know I've put all this other distraction down. Do you have anything you want to say to me? As a mom, do you know what I would do in that situation? I would be like, first of all, blown away. Um, but second of all, I would begin to tell them my heart for them. I would begin to tell them, I love you. I care about you. I am so thankful for you. What a blessing you are to me. So when you think about fasting, and if you're thinking about maybe entering into this week of fasting and prayer with us, I just want to encourage you, if you do that, you willingly go to God and say, I'm going to lay this down this week, God. I'm going to sacrifice it this week. I'm going to remove this distraction this week. I promise you, the God of the universe who never stops speaking, who by the very word of his mouth sustains our very breath and our lungs, he's got something to say to you. And it's going to be, I love you. You are mine. And he's going to call you to action. So I just want to encourage you. Please, if you can join us here, um, we'll be here every morning. If you can't, because I know schedules. Like I said, I have two kids that have to get off to school in the morning, so I might not even be here every morning this week. Because of that, Um, we'll be doing a Facebook live feed, so you can follow us along. The videos will hopefully get added to our app, so you can check those out during the day. Um, The prayer cards that you guys are filling out will be here on the stage. We'll be praying for them. You can engage also by putting a prayer online and um, submitting that to us and we'll put those out on the stage as well. But just like Nehemiah began with when he heard bad news, he began with a prayer. We want to respond in the same way. So I just want to encourage you with that as we're um, kicking off our fasting and prayer this week. But let's look at how Nehemiah's prayer began. When Nehemiah started praying, the first thing he did was he acknowledges God's place and power. He said, Oh awesome God, great and powerful. He acknowledged The power and the place of God. He acknowledged that God is the only one that has the power to change our situation. Now, we get to cooperate, but God is the one with the power to change it. And Nehemiah begins by acknowledging the power of God. He acknowledges God's place. Oh, God of heaven. See, God, again, is a God who sits in a different place than we do. God sees above and beyond what we see. And so when we come to him in prayer, we need to acknowledge his power and his place and his authority. And then Nehemiah acknowledges his own actions. Nehemiah takes responsibility. He prays and asks for forgiveness for the sins of his people. Because if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know this is the story of the Israelites. God delivers them, God gives them this beautiful promised land. They rebel against God, they sin, they go their own way, they get led into captivity. God they cry out, God frees them and brings them back into this land. They do it over and over again. And so Nehemiah acknowledges that behavior. He acknowledges his own sinful behavior in that. So we need to ask ourselves, are we acknowledging our actions before God? See, if you're like me, when I do something wrong, I don't want anyone to know about it. I want to hide it in the darkest place. Honestly, if I do something, like, for instance, um, maybe if I accidentally threw away a very important envelope for my daughter when she passed her driving test and I accidentally threw it in the trash, um, but thank you, God, he brought it back to me, um, I didn't want her to know that. I wanted to hide that thing that I did wrong because I was embarrassed by it. But what happens is God invites us to bring that to Him because He wants to give us forgiveness. His let it there, let there be manifesto of forgiveness is there for us. So we need to acknowledge those things that we have done, those choices that we have made that have gone against what He's calling us to do. And as soon as you bring it into the light, as soon as you acknowledge it and you ask Him to forgive it and you acknowledge your action, He is faithful and just to do it, and it's done, and the shame is gone. But the longer you hide your actions, you don't want to willingly bring that in. You don't want to willingly talk to God about that because you're ashamed of it. All it does is heap more and more shame and guilt on you and drive a bigger wedge between you and God. God doesn't want us to confess our sin to him because he needs to know it because he's just a good old juicy God up there wanting to hear some good gossip. That's not the kind of God he is. He's there because he knows as soon as we say, God, forgive me for my judgmental thoughts. Forgive me for my anger. Forgive me for my unforgiveness. He immediately ushers that forgiveness, and it's gone from me. And the enemy no longer has a hold on me with it, and he can't heap that shame on me. So if you're sitting there going, I don't want to talk about the stuff I did wrong, I just want to encourage you. God wants you to bring it to him because he knows his forgiveness flows, and he is just and faithful to forgive. And then the third thing Nehemiah does is he reminds God of his commands. It's kind of bold, I think. You know, I don't know. When I approach God sometimes, I don't really say, hey, God, remember, because he's a God who never forgets. But as a child of God, that is one of the things that we get to do. If we are in relationship with Jesus Christ, if we are in relationship with God through his son Jesus, we get to approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence, and we can remind God. Nehemiah said, hey, remember the commandment that you gave to Moses? Remember, you told Moses If they do this, I'm going to scatter them. But if they come back, I will bring them from the outermost places. We can remind God of the commandments and promises he has in his word. His word is absolutely full of promises. It is absolutely full of things for us to take in. Are you familiar with the promises of God? Do you know what his word says? Do you know that he says that he's given us a plan for a hope and a future? He wants to prosper us, that he's promised us he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. So in that moment, in the when you're sitting in the pit, in the darkness, and you feel forsaken, and you feel like God forgot you, and you feel like God doesn't know that you're sitting there, Call out to him and remind him, God, remember what you said. You said you will never leave me. You said you will never forsake me. And when you call out to him, he will be there every single time. We have the ability to call on his promises, to call on the promises of God, and we have the ability to give them back to him. So Nehemiah responds to this devastating news by praying by responding to God with prayer and fasting, and it's continued prayer and fasting. It says he continued in prayer and fasting. It lasted. It went on because this is his manifesto. This is his intention. His intention is to be the one to receive forgiveness, to be the one to receive empowerment and blessing. And so after Nehemiah prays, you know what Nehemiah does next? He gets up and goes back to work, waiting on God to provide an opportunity. He prays and then he waits expectantly. And I think that's what God's calling some of us to do. We've been praying and then just sitting. And that's not what God's calling us to do. Get up and work. Nehemiah went back to work. He was the cupbearer. He got up and he went back to work. And he kept watching for an opportunity for God to give him an opportunity to move forward with the let there be manifesto. And so Nehemiah went back and he started taking wine back to the king. And the king, we'll pick up in um, Nehemiah 2 starting in verse 4. The king said to me, what are you requesting? Opportunity just presented itself. And Nehemiah said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah prayed and fasted, worked, waited for an opportunity. When the opportunity presented, how did he respond? With more prayer. He prayed to the God of heaven. And then listen to what he said. And then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let the letters be given to me to the governors of the providence beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judea. And a letter to Asap, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I ask, for the good hand of God was upon me. The good hand of my God was upon me. See, when the king asked Nehemiah what he was requesting, Nehemiah went right back to God in prayer. And then Nehemiah responded with very specific things. When you go to God in prayer... He is a God who will give you specific things. Now, you may not always understand it because he has said to me, I will provide everything you need. That has been the mantra that I have heard out of God's mouth for the last six months. And I thought, okay, that's great. That's specific, but I don't know exactly what it means. It came to realization this week on Friday morning when Pastor Paul called and said, I have the flu, I can't speak, I need you to speak on Sunday, Nehemiah 1 and 2. Okay, I can do that, I can do that. No, I don't think I can, but God can do that. I opened my Bible, I looked at Nehemiah chapter one, and do you know what I had written? I don't know when, I didn't date it, but do you know what I had written? I will provide everything you need. He is a God who is specific, and he will give us specific answers, even if we don't understand exactly what they mean. I don't know when I wrote that in my Bible, and I didn't know then that I was going to be called with about a 48-hour notice to give a message on Nehemiah 1 and 2. But again, I serve a God who stands out of time and space. And he said, I will provide everything you need. Even the green envelope that you threw in the trash the other day. I will provide. I'm like, yes, Lord, thank you. So when you throw his provisions away, he's still going to provide. Don't worry. He is a God who provides. So Nehemiah asked the king for very specific things. Nehemiah said, okay, this is when I'm going to go and I'll be back. And by the way, can you give me some letters? I'd like to have letters. At that time, to pass from one governor place to the other, from one you know, province to the other, they would get these letters so they wouldn't have to um, pay taxes and all this other stuff, and they would have permission. And so he had these letters that he had requested from the king, and the king said, yes, I'm going to give you these letters. And he asked for the timber and all of that. He could be specific. We have been given letters of authority. See, we have been given Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross. For us so that we can be given those letters of authority. Jesus came and said, I've been given all authority on heaven and earth, and I'm giving it to you to go and make disciples in the world around you. Let there be manifesto for every one of us. We get to choose whether or not we want to be those living letters, whether or not we want our life to be the manifesto that is revealed to the world around us. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3, it says, You are our letter, written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested, revealed that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. We get to be that testimony we get to be that for the world around us when we begin implementing our manifesto the manifesto that god has spoken over us a manifesto that says let there be hope let there be opportunity let there be forgiveness let there be blessing let there be intentionality of your life when we begin living that out we begin testifying to other people. We reveal who Jesus is to the world around us. So we get to grow in power and authority because of who Christ says that we are and we step into that because of who Christ says we are through prayer, through times of fasting, through going to his word, through holding on to his promises, we begin to rebuild walls. So my question is, will you join with God in the rebuilding process. God wants to begin a rebuilding. He wants to restore, will you join with him? No matter who has broken the walls down, whether it was you or someone else, as we move into this time of expressions, God wants you to join with him. God wants you to begin allowing this let there be manifesto to begin. And it begins right here with our seven days of prayer and fasting. It is not a coincidence that this message today lines up with our seven days. So I want to encourage you. We've got our prayer cards. They're over here at the cross. If you've got a prayer request, put it before The God who heals, the God who restores, the God who forgives, the God who has all power and authority, and the one who has called you out, the one who has said, you are forgiven, you are redeemed, you are beloved. So as we enter into this moment, this is a time, during this time of expressions, for you to respond to what God's been saying to you today. God has been speaking because he never stays silent. And he wants you to respond. What's your response going to be? Are you willing to step out past your fear, past your failures, past your regrets, past the brokenness, past the hurt, past the shame? And are you willing to step into what God has for you? Are you willing to begin the process? It starts with a simple prayer. Let's pray. Father, we just ask right now that your presence remain with us, that you will overwhelm us with your spirit. We thank you that you are a God who has all power and authority, that you rule from heaven, Father, and that your kingdom comes on earth and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven, that you are a God who invites us to be a part of the process of rebuilding. And so, Father, today, as we partake in communion in the body and the blood of Christ, remembering the sacrifice The perfect, sinless sacrifice of Jesus Christ that was poured out on our behalf. Father, we rejoice and we delight in all that you have for us. We thank you that you are a God who loves us and goes before us. And so, Father, we just come before you with all of our baggage, with all of our stuff, with all of our hurts, with all of our anxiety and fear, and we lay it at the feet of the cross. And we ask you, the Spirit of the living God, to write on our heart the truth of who you've called us to be. Let us step into this, Father, with you, with a boldness, approaching your throne of grace with a confidence of who you've called us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.